Hello, and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And today, we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 3, Signals. And this one might be a little bit lighter than normal, because, quite frankly, nothing really happens in this episode. No, it's kind of like... It's as filler as a filler episode gets. Like, there's, like, a couple of setup bits, but generally speaking, it's just kind of a fun Scooby-Doo adventure for most of it. I think technically the next episode is more of a filler episode because it's mostly just meta jokes, and this one has actual setup for plot stuff later on. But in terms of actual things going on on screen, this certainly feels more like a filler episode. Yeah, like... I think, I think that's true, yeah. Definitely the next one, like, basically nothing at all happens in, but it feels like more is happening because you're having more of a fun time. Like, this episode is just not... It's not particularly exciting. It's not particularly, like, fun. It's, it's not bad. It's just kind of very middle of the road in a way that, like... I didn't even remember anything about this episode until after we got to the bit where the ghosts start showing up, and I'm like, oh, okay, yes, this is the ghost episode. Right, this episode is kind of the most bog-standard this show gets. Usually, it, it kind of stands out from a lot of its other, like, action-adventure contemporaries. But you could put an episode like this into kind of any other show, and you wouldn't really be able to tell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could just, like, slot this into into your, your various Stevens universes or whatever, and it would be like... Yeah, okay. I think we should uh, start just by talking about the plot with the Best Friends Squad, because that is certainly the place where the least stuff is happening. Like like we said, this is just a Scooby-Doo adventure. They're going to investigate some kind of supply town that went dark a while back, and they think there's Horde involvement. Turns out it's just haunted by First One's holograms that got restarted after the Black Garnet incident. Like, it's it's pretty bog standard stuff like i said yeah it's uh like adora the whole time is like telling spooky ghost stories about all of the various evil princesses that the horde has like told them about that are like gonna come and like steal you away in the middle of the night like the baba yaga and (laughs) and glimmer points out hey or no Bo points out uh hey seems like the horde had a theme and adora's like oh I never thought about that before. Like, we knew that she wasn't really aware of anything outside of the Horde while she was in it, but she really didn't think about much at all. No, no. I mean, we, we've established at this point, Adora doesn't really think. She just doesn't think. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't use that. Just doesn't use her thoughts. Yeah, too much space in her head is taken up by Katra. She doesn't have room for thoughts. It's true. It really is. I mean, she's only got a couple brain cells to work with here, so, you know, Katra, Katra takes a lot of uh, that uh, that processing power. She has two brain cells. One of them is occupied by Katra at all times, and the other one has to do everything else. So it kind of, it's, it's a lot of work, but someone has to do it. Yeah. A real trooper, that one. Um, but yeah, this episode, so we, we, the, uh, the actual investigation of the town is kind of cute. There's a lot of good character moments. Uh, Bo has like a soldering iron arrow he's using towards the beginning of the episode. I love it. It's so good. 
Glimmer is very afraid of ghost stories. She's very afraid of Shadow Weaver's creepy pastas, um, and like com- completely psyched herself out while Adora's uh, telling this stuff. And Swiftwind is just having a bad time because he keeps hearing phantom noises that no one else can hear. Yeah, the curse of being an animal, really. Except this time, it seems unrelated to the fact that he's a horse, and more related to the fact that he's a First One's magic-empowered horse. Yeah, because uh, Adora actually at one point starts hearing uh, the weird noises too, which uh, which seems uh, seems a little weird. Yeah, it seems that you know the the first one's signals can interact with them in weird ways um as well as with Bo's tracker pad which goes on the fritz basically as soon as they approach the town um some moments i wanted to to little highlight here while we're we're talking about this a plot um there's a point where they are going to like breach a door and everyone's getting ready they kick the door in and glimmer teleports about seven feet in instead of just running inside yeah also like she teleports in before they even start kicking down the door which is very funny it's like (laughs) it's not even just that she could have waited but also she got in there first she could have just opened the door for them it's just every everyone everyone was kind of doing their own thing a little bit um, when Swiftwind startles them by speaking very loudly, Glimmer like leaps onto Adora and latches onto her like a cat. Like she's completely wrapped around Adora's torso. Yeah, like I mean, Adora is kind of built like a tree, so it's you know only makes sense, right? There's a very good point where they get spooked by a noise and Glimmer just teleports away, and then like very sheepishly teleports back and says, "I don't know why I did that." Oh, that, yeah, that bit's really good. But, you know, there is some character work here. Mostly it's it's about Bo feeling really bummed about Entrapta being allied with the Horde and trying to sort of take her place as the, as the Rebellion's main tech person. But, like, the fact of the matter is he's not quite as good as Entrapta. Yeah, he has, like, he has some, some self-confidence issues about it because he's, like, he's more of... So Entrapped is kind of like, you know, like a robotics and like electrical engineer and Bo's more of like a, like he's also an electrical engineer, but he's, he's focused on like not quite as complicated uh, machinery. So I feel like they both fill different niches, right? Like he's a prominent member of the uh, Ethereum maker community, of course, but they both kind of do different stuff. So you know, Bo, Bo, sh- Bo shouldn't feel like he's not he's not as good, especially because it turns out uh, he does know his stuff pretty well, and he figures out, you know, of course everything's a hologram, and that, uh, you know, all they gotta do is have Adora kind of do her first one's thing and then shut it down. Glimmer seems to still, like, Catra seems to still be living in Glimmer's head rent-free, um... After last episode, she's really thinking about all the stuff Catcher said to her, and is like, "Am I really good enough for the field, or is Catcher right, and I'm just a just a dumb, sparkly do-gooder who can't do anything?" Yeah, it's it's actually very funny um, when it gets brought up because it's kind of out of complete nowhere. It's like Bo, like Bo is Bo is having a moment of like self-consciousness because, of course, you know he's like wrapped up in the whole "Am I as good as entrapped a thing." Um, how can I replace her? And then Adora's having a moment because she's like, I turned into she so I could defeat the ghosts, but I can't defeat the ghosts. 
uh, this is bad. And then Glimmer just kind of out of nowhere is just like, but, but what if Catra's right? And I think Adora like looks at her like, hey, wait, wait, huh? What are you talking about? What? <laughs> yeah, she's like, huh? Listen, sometimes you just meet a rival in the battlefield and you can't stop thinking about her. It's nothing. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about battlefield, battlefields, and and, and blooming and and that sort of thing. Uh, Adora mostly just. Like I said, tells creepypasta the entire episode. She does have a moment towards the end where she, like, reckons with the fact that the first ones were just kind of regular people, which I thought was pretty nice. Yeah, it's a kind of interesting point, too, because I think a lot of the a lot of the times, right, when you have, like, a precursor race, it's, it's you know, hyped up to be, like, this really big thing. Um, it's nice when, when, you know, a canon kind of acknowledges that they're, like, just normal people who happened to be here a very long time ago. Uh, and Swiftwind eats a lot of apples. He does eat a lot of apples. Uh, I mean, he's very he's very correct, you know. Uh, creepy apples, just as tasty as normal ones. There's not a whole lot going on with him. He's mostly just there to, to do jokes and, and be the, uh, the funny animal companion to our Scooby gang. Yeah, in fact, actually, I would say that this episode is maybe the maybe not the only but like definitely the most prominent episode in my mind of swiftwind just being the funny animal companion and he usually avoids that hey he wasn't even like that in the previous episode he had more going on uh than in this one yeah yeah which is like it's kind of unfortunate but i guess like i mean it's it's fine like it's fine that's fine yeah that's basically all the best friend squad is up to in this episode like we said not a lot nothing happens um there is a stinger at the end that kind of ties into th- some other stuff, but we'll talk about that later. Um, let's get into this Horde stuff, which mostly focuses around Entrapta, um, which is nice. There's a First of all, I wanted to say that there's a lot of really good Entrapta animation in this episode. Yeah, they do a really good job like with her hair, and like she's just very, very, very expressive, and she moves around a lot. She really, she really chews the, uh, the scenery. Like, she, she is a very commanding presence on screen. She just takes up the whole screen, basically. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, this episode's kind of... I would say the central crux of it is uh, the kind of meeting of the minds between Hordak and Entrapta. Because they've, they've interacted somewhat before. They Well, they, I, I say interacted. It's more like Entrapta and Hordak have been in the same room at some points, but never really talked or acknowledged each other at all. This is the first time that there's like a sort of crossing point between their characters. Yeah, like before now, the most interaction they've had was like when Hordak learns that Entrapta is, you know, here in the Fright Zone. And then, of course, like he approves of the Black Garnet experiments like that. That's like the primary time that they really interact. And of course, there's like a couple of like humorous bits where she's in the background of like his throne room, like taking supplies <laughs> and catchers trying to cover for her or whatever and uh and that's fun but yeah this is the first episode where they really have a uh, significant interaction and it really doesn't go the way that really anybody predicts in the episode which is very fun yeah you would expect the you know hordak is someone who suffers no fools is very short tempered he has a very short fuse like the first kind of the first thing we see him do the cold open of the episode is him just like 
getting extremely frustrated by a fail experiment and like crushing a wrench in his hand. He puts Catra in like the suffocation rectangle um, for interrupting him and, and not doing quite as good as her job as she should be. Like we see him, you know, his one trick. The, the one trick of Hordak is that he's very large and very intimidating. And he can speak very loudly. Um, this is how he does everything. This is how he rules over the fright zone. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the standard, you know, dude playbook, right? And then here comes Entrapta, who, as we have covered before, doesn't know what fear is really. She doesn't really have any sort of sensible fear response. She has moments of fear, like when you know she's being chased by an evil robot horde. But, like, she gets snapped out of it pretty quickly or distracted by something. Like, I guess stray thought catches her or she gets distracted by a gadget of some kind. And so this is very similar when what happens is that Entrapta needs, like, a, a hex, like a screwdriver to fix the table that she's working on. Can't find one. Well, there's one in Entrapta, uh, or one in Hordak's Sanctum, which uh, Entrapta is a big fan of calling a lab a Sanctum. Yeah, she's uh, she's very enamored with uh, with the concept, and then Catra, of course, uh, just grabs her by uh, the collar and is just like, "Listen, under absolutely no circumstances are you to go in that room. I literally just got choked, almost to death. Don't do it. It's a bad idea." Of course, Entrapta doesn't really care. She she has a bit where she's like on her little recorder and she's like, "Hmm, ethical dilemma number sixty three. Do I go in here for a wrench or not?" Yeah, the ethical dilemma is that uh, it would be breaking a promise to Catra. I so desperately want to hear the other two, uh, other 62 ethical dilemmas. What could those possibly be? Please, I need to get a recording of that. that that's got to be in the uh, the bonus DVD content when they get the uh, box set out there. So, yeah, she sneaks into Hordak's sanctum and sees him, you know, freaking out yet again about the failure of this green orb he's been working on. And she gets very like, well, no one should get so huffy over a failed experiment. Failure is the is the the lifeblood of innovation. So she basically just fixes his stuff for him. She just like hooks it back up so it works. Um, and he storms in when he finds her in there, and is you know he's he's in Hordak mode. He's gonna you know yell at her. He's he's pointing, um, and she just has absolutely no reaction. And as soon as the first, like, what are you doing in my lab completely bounces off of her, you can tell on his face he has no idea what to do now. No, yeah, he is completely lost. He has no idea how to react. Like, he's just, like, he does the thing where he, like, has his finger up, like, he's he's saying something and his finger just kind of droops over and he's just, like, open mouth, like, I don't know what to say now. Like, because Entrapta just doesn't care. And as she's leaving, she's like, oh, yeah, so I fixed it. Try it again. Uh, your wires were uninsulated, bro. Um, it's just just, just go again. It should handle the, the charge now. Which, by the way, what kind of device uses uninsulated wire on, like, what is functionally, like, a plasma globe? No, I'm just a simple southern podcaster. But even I know you probably shouldn't. On like not insulate your wires it seems like those should kind of always be insulated if you're you know doing some kind of exterior cabling and holding a whole lot of electrical charge it seems like maybe it's a good idea yeah i mean listen if if your stuff is shorting out as it's probably not gonna work but uh 
Well, how could how could you expect how could you expect Hordak to know? He's he's too busy being large and, and shouty. He he doesn't have time to to learn things. He was too busy building the suffocation rectangle. God. But yeah, so it turns out it starts immediately working as soon as uh as uh as soon as he turns it back on, and then he's like, Oh, oh wow, it works. And then immediately Entrapta just appears next to him. Um and is like, Yeah, of course it worked. I'm really good at my job. What's what's the deal? What are you building? And uh, so he's like, yeah, I'm trying to build a portal. And Entrapta is just enraptured with the concept. And I mean, to be honest, I feel like I would be too. I mean, somebody was just like, yeah, I'm trying to build a wormhole just in the middle of the room. And then he's just like, yeah, they, not only is this real and they exist, but like I can just make one whenever. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty enticing as a concept. Right. And, you know, we, do, we get a lot of Hordak backstory kind of in this, or at least like, pretty clear hints at it um for one he's from space yeah he is he is from space apparently he can breathe in vacuum or near vacuum there's other planets i mean we already knew that there were stars right but of course now we know that there's a whole universe out there uh that nobody on the planet is really aware of uh outside of theories and yeah so this just this kind of confirms all of uh entrapta's kind of theories about space and and whatnot and she just wants to know as much as possible and of course she's just her brain is going 97 miles a second she's thinking about okay all the possibilities what could you do with a portal you could you could move supplies and troops anywhere on the planet and then of course you know Hordak is like you're thinking a little too small and then you can you can kind of pinpoint the moment where she realizes oh oh yeah you could you could leave you could go to other planets if you want you could go to the other side of the friggin universe yeah, and so that is kind of what captures her full attention. She's had all these theories about space, but now she finally knows someone who not only confirms that all those theories are true, but he also says, and I can go there, which kind of just, yeah, she gets right right to work on this portal thing, which Katra doesn't like at all. And let's talk a bit about Katra, because she's the other sort of focus of this episode, she is trying to settle into the place that Shadow Weaver once occupied and is finding that the place Shadow Weaver once occupied sure did have a lot of paperwork. Yeah, so as it turns out, when you're running a gigantic bureaucratic organization like the Horde, there is paperwork to be done. You know, there's requisition forms, you gotta supply all of the dudes with armor and and weapons. In fact, that's like one of the key things is like catchers like, oh, we have to send out our troops right now and take advantage of everything. And they're just like, uh, we don't have any guns or armor. Um, can you get us some so we can do this? And she's just so frustrated that nothing is just happening when she orders it. And poor Scorpia, she's she's doing her best. She's kind of been given the role of secretary for this episode, just constantly trying and failing to carry around like 87 manila folders with her big pincer hands that aren't really designed to hold folders. Yeah, she's quite literally not built for this line of work. She's not good at precision things. She has big crab claws. Yeah, her her big meaty claws were just not meant for this kind of work. And I mean, really, Scorpio is kind of given given the kind of the stick in this episode. She's like, 
she's the secretary, she has to be entrapped as keeper, she's basically running all over the Fright Zone trying to catch up to Catra to, like, tell her the latest paperwork situation at any given second. <laughs> and, and the whole time, like, Catra is just getting increasingly more annoyed because things are, like, there are problems. You know, meanwhile, what is Catra up to? She's going to talk to Shadow Weaver and, like, gloat, and really not much else. She's not there to gloat. She's there to accuse Shadow Weaver of, like, stealing the files on where she can get the stuff for the armor. Um, and Shadow Weaver's like, uh, you didn't know? We make this here in the Fright Zone. And, you know, it just makes Catra even madder that, oh, if, yeah, of course, he, I didn't, you know, look that up at all. She, um, the, the first thing we see her in is the aforementioned suffocation rectangle, where she's trying to, like, kind of force herself into the Shadow Weaver role by doing check-ins with Hordak that he's extremely not wanting. And he does not care about that at all. So, like, she's here, out here looking for Hordak's, like, approval, but all she's getting is just more abuse and more talking down to from this guy who just barely cares about her at all other than like well just keep working on fighting the rebellion i have my own things to attend to yeah i think largely katra kind of misinterprets shadow weaver's relationship to hordak right and i mean you would right you know she's your direct superior and she controls everything and she seems like you know she's hordak's right hand sorcerer but it turns out that she really didn't ever have that much say in anything. Hordak didn't exactly trust her with any of his actual plans. Um, she, of course, was always being strung along and, like, dangled over the pit just as much as anyone else in the Horde is. You know, I'm sure on more than one occasion she's been given the suffocation rectangle, too. You know, but Catra kind of saunters in. She's like, yeah, let's do... Let's do daily check-ins, and why don't you tell me what we're up to, boss? And it's just like, yeah, that's that's not the kind of relationship you have here, uh, my friend. That's that's not really how this works. It's kind of a it's kind of a he tells you to jump and you say how high situation. And you can tell at the end of this episode when she goes into Hordak's lab and Entrapta has just so easily entered into his good graces and been sort of accepted into his inner circle. And she's furious about that. Oh yeah, she's like, she's not happy that like, she's she spent the whole, you know, I mean not just this episode, but like the last couple of episodes trying to like get in as good as possible with him and like prove her worth and like make sure that you know, she's in, like, a good position, and that she can fill Shadow Weaver's role, and she's just bashing her head against a brick wall functionally, and Entrapta, you know, purely, you know, on her face, like, a functionally clueless person, right, at least as far as Catra is concerned, someone who is just kind of lost in her own, her own world, she's not really concerned with even following Hordak's orders, you know, and she just happens to be basically the most trusted person in the whole fright zone in an afternoon you know i'd be pretty mad if i was catcher too i feel like i think that about wraps up the main body of this episode like we said very light on a lot of stuff oh there is one more thing though the very end of this episode leaves us on kind of an interesting dangling cliffhanger where we see uh bo's tracker pad gets like a super scrambled uh first ones message like the star language 
but Adora can't read it. It's too garbled. And we cut to this like barren desert, and there's just like a spaceship crashed in it, and everything on the spaceship starts booting up. Yes, and we get a shot of that garbled message, but decidedly less garbled this time. So I'm sure that won't be important. I'm sure nothing about this is important at all, and it certainly won't be brought up in the second half of this podcast. But before we get to said second half of this podcast, um, we do have a question, but it's slightly spoilery. So we're going to do it in the second half. We, uh, we, have, we have a Patreon. You can find us there at uh, patreon.com slash pod of power. Um, we have a new patron this, this week. It's going to be Krista D. Thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you. Welcome, uh, welcome to, uh, to the, the team. And if you are like Krista D or our other fine patrons, you can enjoy content such as the, uh, the two side podcasts that we do over there where we watch the owl house and Kipo and the age of wonder beasts. Um, there's going to be a new episode of the Kipo cast up this Sunday. So if you're, if you're on Patreon, you can uh, look forward to that. We also do little mini sods uh, with auxiliary she rock content. We've got one up where we do the quiz that Noel Stevenson made for the crew at the beginning where it's like the 80s she rock characters we're going to be doing the Flame Princess book at some point. We're going to be looking at that data book. Anything else we might uh, we might be looking at that is kind of related to the uh, to the show. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Podcast of Power. If you want to send in questions, we have a curious cat that is linked on the Twitter. We've got a Tumblr, potofpower.tumblr.com. We've got a Gmail account. If your question is simply too large to fit into Twitter or Curious Cat. You can send that in to potofpower at gmail.com. We love to get emails. We do love to get emails, but please do bear in mind, we uh, we really only answer the email stuff at the end of the season just because a lot of times they get quite long. And we do that kind of like in a, in a big recap episode. Indeed. Uh, we'll, and as a reminder yet again, our recap episode is going to be a combination of season two and three because functionally they are one season. Yes. But with that, I think it's time we uh, jump over the precipice into the spoiler zone. For those of you who will not be accompanying us, we'll catch you next week. For those of you who are, we'll see you on the other side. Should we start with this question? Uh, yeah, let's start with the question. That seems like a good lead-in. I think it's a good jumping-off point. Um, this is from an anonymous curious Catra user. Hordak removes Etheria's atmosphere, which causes Catra to choke. This happens again later in the series. Uh, Nell says she died, which is the se- the the, uh, the end of season two, or yeah, the end of season two. That was one of the the deaths, uh, quote unquote. Catra has also been nearly killed by Shadowweaver. Shadowweaver had Catra in a similar position as Hordak when Shadowweaver was holding hands with Glimmer. Uh, that was in Season 3. We know Shadowweaver is abusive, yet Catra still wants to impress both Hordak and Shadowweaver. She even wants to impress Horde Prime briefly. Where do you think this comes from? I think we've talked a little bit about 
Katra's understanding of positive reinforcement being really warped because of she 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 knows she wants to receive attention but the only way she seeks that out is often through negative attention we saw that a lot in promises yeah so yeah i mean it's it's like it's all trauma responses baby we all got them it's like some people will will kind of kind of have that that kind of adaptation to stuff right where you're gonna if the primary attention that you get especially from like a caregiver figure like you know shadow weaver was um and like the primary way that you get interacted with is in a supremely negative way then you know you're you're gonna you're gonna be attention seeking in a negative way you know the way that more or less everyone baradora treats her growing up is to basically ignore her or like joke about her behind her back or whatever until she does something to get them mad at her like none of the other you know kids or or whatever really interact with her um until you know they're they're pissed off right so yeah i think there's largely that sort of negative attention seeking thing but i also think it's not all like just trying to impress them necessarily. I think that a lot of it is also her having a really warped understanding of how to kind of gain influence over her own situation. She's trying really hard to kind of get one over on uh, Shadow Weaver, get one over on Hordak and on Hort Prime. And try and supplant them a bit, of course, because, you know, as much as she's, you know, working under them, she doesn't, there's no, there's no love lost for these people, right? Like, Catra doesn't actually like them. Complicated emotional things with Shadow Weaver aside, she doesn't like these people. She doesn't really want to be underneath them or really even deal with them she kind of just wants to claim superiority over them and be the the top dog or you know top cat in the situation i will say there are a few moments that kind of give that give me pause about that because there are moments where she does get positive attention from these figures the one i always think of and that i am always thinking of is from light spinner where Shadow Weaver like touches the side of her face and she kind of melts into it. I think there are a few moments in season four where Hordak is like treating her much more amicably, which is of course all based on a falsehood, but he doesn't know that. Where she seems like she wants both to supplant them, but also wants their approval, it feels. And what's interesting in this, in the last example of this, the final example of Catra trying to sort of play this game with her superiors is with Horde Prime early in season four. And Horde Prime seems to, he does, I would not say he likes Catra. I don't think he likes any, anyone that isn't really himself, but he sort of does accept Catra into the fold a bit more readily than one would think. She's a cute little oddity to him. And she's like, oh, he's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you into the fold. You can be one of the the chosen few who isn't one of my clones that that gets to see the, you know, gets to be purified. And so, like, that's one of the moments where she's actually in a much better position than in the rest of them. 
And yet he's still, of course, manip- he is just much more of a subtle manipulator than Hordak or Shadow Weaver. He doesn't need to be loud or aggressive. He just needs to show you terrible things and gesture at terrible things and worm his way into your mind. But And so she very quickly realizes that, like, no, you can't play games with this guy. You can't do any of that. Horde Prime is immovable. Horde Prime has been playing this game for so long. And she finally breaks that cycle with him by uh, rescuing Glimmer uh, in the beginning of Season 3. And that is sort of an interesting arc for her and these authority figures. Yeah, I I think it definitely is. I think a lot of it also just comes from the fact that, like, like what, what really gets her to kind of get to the point that she is genuinely really afraid like for herself and for and for glimmer right is the fact that horde prime is actually scary right like shadow weaver is a big theater kid she's she's loud and and boisterous and she's like high drama all the time and she's very theatrical but she's not gonna just immediately kill you Hordak is pretty similar. Obviously, he's a lot more willing to kill you, but, like, he's still not gonna, at least not immediately. Like, he's he's loud, and he's very angry, and he'll throw you in the suffocation uh, rhombus every now and again, but he's he makes a lot of threats that he doesn't necessarily follow through on right? Like, in the episode, and in a lot of episodes, right, he'll be like, oh, the consequences for this shall be devastating, and you'll rue the day you messed with me, and then nothing really comes of that, except, like, in that exact moment, really. Word Prime doesn't need to do any of that. He doesn't make threats. He doesn't, he doesn't get loud. He's very quiet, and he's very calm, and if you mess up even one time, he has no qualms immediately getting you executed. Like, none. He will just do it on the spot and make everyone else in the room watch functionally. And that's really scary. Like, he's the actual really scary guy in, in the show. And, you know, I think that's a that's a big reason why, why Catra has that moment that really kind of shakes her out of it a little bit and, and lets her know, hey, this is... This isn't uh, this isn't playtime anymore. You need to take this a little more seriously. Yeah, speaking of Hordax, let's talk a little bit about him and Entrapta's friendship because this is kind of the the jumping off point for that. It's kind of the main focus of their arc for the rest of the season, uh, season two and three, of course, and kind of the crux of his character for the rest of the show is this like one genuine human connection he ends up making in his sad lonely little life yeah it's like it's it's interesting because it starts out with him just being completely taken aback like his entire personality everything that he is as a person is built off of being the cruel and savage dictator of the horde you know this this unspeakably powerful figure that everyone lives in fear of across the entire planet and whatnot but Entrapta is like the one person that he has ever met who just straight up is not intimidated by him at all. It The way he interacts with other people just doesn't work. And he has to re-examine his whole situation. And while he's doing that, and he's kind of dealing with his entire concept of human interaction being shattered, he realizes, oh hey, she's 
like she doesn't think I'm horrible. She kind of likes being around me. And also we can have a conversation and she's not totally incompetent. And he's just it, like the gears kind of start clicking in his weird little clone head. And he starts to he starts to realize, hmm, a relationship with another person. This could be a good thing. And then Horde Prime drops him into the Mountain Dew for a bit and he kind of forgets it. Yeah, real unfortunate that Mountain Dew. Thankfully, at the end, he, he remembers that human relationships are actually a good thing. Uh, takes him a second, but uh, but he does remember that. The the arc of Entrapped and Hordak's friendship is probably my favorite part of this season. Like, it was so unexpected to me when I first watched it. And it, it's just delightful. I like when a character like Hordak gets to do something and be something other than scary villain man who who lurks in the shadows. Yeah, I think that I think that it's quite fun when you give them the opportunity to do something else, and especially when you throw them off like that and you make it so like their big villain shtick just doesn't work. It just kind of slides right off somebody. I don't know. It's 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 fun, and I also appreciate like. One of the things when it comes to some of Shira's contemporaries and predecessors is just this whole deal with villain redemption arcs being like not done very well or done to villains who really shouldn't have one or just like given out like candy like it's on Halloween. And I kind of appreciate the way that I think Hordak is handled, right? Like, I wouldn't say that he even gets redeemed necessarily. He's just given an out, right? Like, he's he's given an opportunity to be a person who isn't just a dictator. You know, uh, the opportunity is given to him to, like, be a human person. Or, well, not a human person, but you know what I mean? Uh, hum- yeah, I get what you mean. I think that the ultimate thing, yeah, there's, there's really only one this show doesn't really do you know quote-unquote redemption arcs like a lot of other shows do i think that it its idea of redemption is a bit different and a bit more nuanced than most of its contemporaries you know obviously the example we can pull most immediately from is steven universe where he's just palling around with the diamonds at the end of the show which is just really weird yeah god it's 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 the weirdest thing in the world just like you know, you spend functionally the entire runtime of the show, like, these are horrible dictators, they ruin everything, they destroyed millions of people, like, just killed them outright, and at the end it's just like, oh, but they're just sad, sad old ladies. Yeah, they're, they're sad, so it's fine, and, like, Hordak could have gone that route, because he is sad, and so they could have given him an out that way, but here's the three... The three aspects of Hordak's arc that make it work. So step one is, like you said, he's not redeemed or even forgiven by everyone immediately. He's It's only at the end. And of course, Mermis is there to voice her kind of objections. Like, is everyone just all right with this? I don't know about this one. But his arc is pretty squarely focused on Entrapta. So he is not going on a Zuko-style field trip with everybody in the best friend squad. His sort of quote-unquote redemption is all focused around this one friendship he's forged in his time away from horde prime and that's the second aspect so hordak obviously the main villain of the first four seasons big evil dictator head of the horde however once we see this the enormity and monstrosity of horde prime it kind of allows hordak's crimes to shrink in their like 
intensity. Because we see Horde Prime literally just like glassing a planet at one point. Just like it's nothing. Like it's a Tuesday for him. So he's just kind of bombing a planet from orbit while Catcher just kind of watches. And Hordak is ultimately, you realize that he's basically nothing in the face of that. And the third is that at the end you see the ultimate tragedy of Hordak is that if Horde Prime had not completely wrecked him as a person, if his influence had just not kind of doomed him to this, he could have been someone else. And, like, you see him start to come out of that shell and start to get other ideas in his head. Like, he doesn't even really want to open the portal at the end of Season 3. Certainly not without Entrapta's input on it. Like, he's he's all about opening this portal and calling in his brother. But after spending some time with Entrapta and actually talking about Horde Prime, I think he begins to kind of think about Horde Prime in a way that isn't just this glorified version that lives in his head. And he kind of starts to think that maybe he isn't actually good to be around. Um, He never voices that, but I think it's definitely sort of tickling at the back of his head. And that is ultimately the, the sort of three aspects of Hordak that allow that arc to work, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. I would say I would say maybe like a fourth thing also that that makes kind of um Hordak's situation work is that the thing is he's never in a position where he gets forgiven for for that stuff, which I think is like that's that's a really big thing. There's no moment where where anyone anywhere is like, yeah, you're a good person, like you, you know all that stuff that wasn't your fault. You're just indoctrinated. Like, no, no, that doesn't actually happen. He shares this this one moment at the very end of the show with Adora that is like, that's it. And I, you know, there's the, the word forgiven is never exchanged in any sort of conversation with Hordak because it would it wouldn't work. And the, the the sort of third axis of the redemption arc in this show is Shadow Weaver, but we can't get into that right now. But if she's the one. She's the she's the one character that really codifies how the show feels about the concept of redemption and what it means. But we'll get to that later. Yes, yeah, so we've got a good episode about that coming up pretty shortly where we can we can get a lot more into that. One more uh, thing that comes up in this episode, which is this is kind of the episode that starts the entire central mystery of season two and three being Mara's ship, which is interesting because the next three episodes have pretty much literally nothing to do with that yeah they kind of set it up honestly like maybe a little too early like i mean i think it's it's fine right but like i don't think we see or hear anything else about that ship until like until season three right like it's not it's not no it's not it's not until um the episode with bo's dads because they kind of partially decode the message right 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 yeah they partially decode the message and then but the ship isn't even mentioned like the ship isn't mentioned until i think the episode after maybe two episodes after so yeah like they do set it up pretty early in the in the season here um there's also like a little bit i think of foreshadowing with the um the beast island signal because you have adora and swiftwind of course being like first ones magic creatures functionally they can hear the uh the actual signal that's being given off by the uh the communications beacon um and no one else can and of course on beast island both of them can also hear the whatever is going on on beast island signal so that's interesting kind of wish that we found out like what the deal with the beast island signal was but 
you know, sometimes sometimes a mystery is just a mystery. They, I think they talk a little bit about it in the episode, but I can't remember what it is. It's like some kind of database that's gone rampant or something. It's really, it's very strange. Yeah, it's weird because it's like, like the explanation at the end, right? When we, we find and trap the, at the, well, not when we find and trap, when we get to the center of the whole thing. And it's just a big database computer or whatever. But that shouldn't be giving off a signal like that. I don't know why it would. And it has like, it has like the vines on it. It has these like vine vein situations growing on it that look like visually very similar to like the red veins that come out of the uh like corrupted disc that uh that ends up corrupting the sort of protection and stuff so i don't know maybe like that's the same the same situation it's like a similar like computer virus i don't know i don't think so they act so differently because the the thing in beast island just kind of subsumes and attracts everything there's a lot of first one stuff that kind of gets left unexplored which i think is fine i don't need to know all the deep first ones lore but i wonder i do wonder because the the corrupted disc kind of just gets dropped after the snow episode we never really learn much more about it and Beast Island is very enigmatic. I wonder, I must have forgotten something. I think they, they say something about what it is, but I just can't quite remember it because it's been a while since I watched that episode. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's weird. I, I would actually love it if they did like another uh, data book and they just just did a first one's tech rundown. Just like, of all that kind of stuff, like what what's what are these corruption viruses you know what's what's the deal with the crystal castle all that stuff like that would be really cool if they did something like that i i'm a sucker for like deep lore on like tech and that kind of thing so that'd be kind of cool it's nice that they don't go like that deep into it in the show because i think it gives it kind of an air of um like magitech mystery but it'd be kind of cool to just have like some supplementary material that kind of goes into more detail about it Trapta's Field Journal. Ooh, that'd be good, actually. Be pretty great. I'd I'd get that. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, DreamWorks, write that one down. Yeah, it's a freebie. You can use that one. With that, though, I think we're done with the, this episode of the podcast. the The next episode should be fun. That's the like the the one where they get all the meta jokes in. That'll that one will just be fun to watch and talk about. There's nothing that actually happens of like great import in that episode it's just really good yeah oh i love that one the DD one's one of my favorites it's great um but that's next week until then i have been one of your hosts nero i've been the other host jane i'll see you on the other side of podcast spondos